This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. sexy sap stackers and welcome to the bitcoin bulletin podcast today well today is sunday september 4th 2022 and this is a special weekend update edition if you're like me you've noticed that there tends to be a shortage of podcasts to listen to at least new podcasts coming out on the weekend and if they do come out on the weekend oftentimes they're podcasts from interviews that have been pre-recorded so, and especially with the Labor Day weekend, with the three-day weekend here in the United States, um, some of your, my favorite podcasts aren't even going to have a Monday episode. So I figured I would drop one of these weekend update editions for you. Before we get into it real quick, a quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a blockchain block height of 752,578. Bitcoin is currently priced at 19,808 US dollars or 5,048 sats per cuckbuck, 5,048 Moscow time. If you want to trade your shiny yellow rocks, your shiny metal coins for Bitcoin, it will currently cost you 11.6 ounces of gold to buy just one Bitcoin. And if you value your wealth in pizzas, well, even with Bitcoin's lower price this last couple of days, one Bitcoin will still score you 1,187 Papa John's pizzas. That's more than one pizza a day for more than three years. Not too shabby for just one Bitcoin, especially compared to what Laszlo paid on the first Bitcoin pizza day. If you value your wealth in oil, one Bitcoin will currently score you 212.94 barrels of oil. That's almost 213 50-gallon drums of the sticky black liquid at a rate of 469,564 sats per barrel. And if you pay attention to Bitcoin's market cap, that is down just a tiny bit from our DCA Wednesday episode, at a total market capitalization of $379.1 billion, obviously way short of that $1 trillion market cap that we achieved when Bitcoin set its new all-time high, but still pretty respectable for a, any investment of any kind. And the mempool is chugging right along. It's actually fairly heavy for a Sunday Normally on the weekends, the mempool is clear, but there's currently four blocks worth of transactions uh, pending in my mempool. However, one sat per byte transactions will still clear within a day. Uh, not immediately, though, probably, because, uh, like I said, there's four transactions worth of, four uh, blocks worth of transactions pending uh, already. If you want to guarantee that your transaction, your on-chain transaction is included in the next block, the fee estimator is recommending that you pay a fee of 14 sats per byte. Uh, And that is more expensive than even on Wednesday when it was recommending an 11 sat per byte uh, transaction fee to guarantee the next block. So 
a little bit heavier than normal uh, on-chain activity for a for a Sunday. And along those lines, that metric that you know I like to follow, my favorite metric, the 24-hour transaction rate, is of course down uh, compared to Wednesdays. It's almost always lower on the weekend. The last time we did a Sunday show, it was 2.84 transactions per second, and it's lower than that. Even it's currently, they're currently averaging 2.53 transactions per second. Some of those must be pretty big transactions, though, if they've got the mempool backed up uh, to four blocks worth already. As you know, anytime I see below three transactions per second, it tends to correspond to a weakness in Bitcoin in Bitcoin's price. That isn't any fancy TA. That's just something that I've noticed in the year plus that I've been doing this podcast. Obviously, though, um, that's three transactions per second on weekday volume. Uh, as I mentioned, again, that transaction volume on weekends is usually a lot lighter than during the week. And that is because most of the speculators, most of the traders are still working that nine to five Monday through Friday bankers hours, the old school financial hours, even though Bitcoin trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just never sleeps. uh, Most speculators and hedge funds and uh, banks do sleep. There's no way they're going to be bothered on their weekends. Um, And a significant portion of you know, Bitcoin's activity is, as you know, speculators. Although the more Bitcoin available for snapping up at this discount, at this discounted price, hopefully more and more of that Bitcoin is disappearing into hardware wallets forever. That's the nice, that's one of the other nice things about the price being lower is that, you know, every, every dollar you exchange for Bitcoin is going to buy you more sats than it would just a couple of months ago. And that is, that are, those are more sats that will never be available uh, for speculators to borrow in short, for example. All right. As I mentioned last Wednesday, we had just had a difficulty adjustment, a huge one, darn near a record uh, difficulty adjustment of 9.3% that brought the difficulty to mine a Bitcoin to almost all-time high levels. So we're almost back to all-time record high levels of Bitcoin uh, mining activity, despite the fact that the price is down significantly uh, and I say down significantly, you know, compared to four years ago, Bitcoin is already at the moon, but down significantly compared to its all-time high. As you know, Bitcoin adjusts its mining difficulty every 2016 blocks to theoretically keep it so that one new block is discovered every 10 minutes. Along those lines, we are 1,406 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. And now that we've gotten a little bit closer, things are looking a little bit more reasonable on Wednesday, there were some estimators out there saying that it was going to be up to another 4.4 difficulty, 4.4% difficulty increase. Currently, depending where you get your data, it's looking like that is going to be an increase of anywhere between 0.21 to 1%, obviously substantially lower than that 4.4%. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 10 minutes and 5 seconds in between blocks, just a little bit faster than that 10-minute block time that the Bitcoin protocol is designed to target. And of course, the reason why it was uh, much more dramatically, uh, a much higher forecasted difficulty adjustment, difficulty increase on Wednesday was because at that point in time, blocks were screaming in a lot closer to, uh, a lot closer to nine minutes per, uh, and nine minutes per block. So, um, 
blocks have slowed down. Actually, they're averaging more than 10 minutes per block right now, but they're still forecasting an increase because, um, well, you know, we're still 1,406 blocks away. So we're well over, it's, we've got well over half of this difficulty epic left to mine. So anything goes, but um, at least it's starting to look a little bit more like it's going to be uh, a, a, a negligible mining difficulty increase this time around. Real quick, I want to say thank you to those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. Remember, uh, we are available on the Fountain app and the Breeze Wallet, any of your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps. We have had a few of you streaming us sats, and that's really cool, so thank you. Although we don't have any boosts to read uh, this episode, we only had one boost on Wednesday that we that we read. If you do send us a boostergram and it is an obscene or a shill, uh, and you don't tell us specifically not to, we will read it on the next uh, episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast. If you are not familiar with Podcasting 2.0, that is the value for value model of podcasting where you can support your favorite podcasters directly instead of relying on sponsorships or advertisements to support a podcast. You can stream sats directly to your favorite podcast and you can do that on a per minute basis or a one-time boost by hitting that boost button and on the fountain app that boost is also gives you the ability to send a send it as a message uh, and of course you can use any of your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps and still listen for free it just gives you the option to basically tip your favorite podcaster uh, if you feel so inclined and uh, some of you out there are doing that so thank you very much to those of you who are all right once again the majority of the news this week continues to swirl around bitcoin's price and earlier, before I uh, got around to recording this episode earlier this morning, Bitcoin had dropped below 19,600. It was somewhere around 19,560 or so. It has rebounded, obviously, a little bit, although it is still under $20,000 per Bitcoin. And that is fantastic, because if you're out there stacking, remember, we do a DCA uh, episode every Wednesday, but that does not preclude you from buying the dip. And if you uh, if you have you know spare money, spare dry powder, as they like to say, Bitcoin is definitely on sale. Will it go lower? Who knows? Will it go higher? Well, eventually. Um, but as it stands, every U.S. dollar that you roll into Bitcoin right now is going to score you five thousand forty-eight sats, and those that is five thousand forty-eight sats that will no longer hopefully be available for uh, people speculators. Uh, shorters, etc., to purchase. Uh, so not only will you grow the, the size of your stack, you will hopefully take away Bitcoin that uh, people are using to drive the price of Bitcoin down by betting against it. Remember, the best time to purchase Bitcoin was 10 years ago, but that second best time is right now. And instead of trying to guess the markets, instead of time, instead of trying to time the markets, as they say, time in the markets beats timing the markets every time it's tried. So if you've got that dry powder, go ahead and make that, uh, make that stack, add to that stack, buy that freaking dip, as they like to say. As Derek Gigi tweeted succinctly earlier this morning, everyone gets the coin they deserve when they deserve it. And if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you have already bought a fairly sizable amount of Bitcoin and have it tucked away in cold storage somewhere. Uh, some of you probably longer than others. If you haven't, there's no time like the present, and today is certainly a great day to start that stack. Speaking of great days, the Baltic Honey Badger Bitcoin Conference is currently underway in Riga, Latvia. 
I can't wait to see some of the content when it comes out, when it's posted hopefully on YouTube. Uh, that is definitely on my Bitcoin bucket list. There are a lot of Bitcoin meetups and conferences I'd like to attend one day, and the Honey Badger, the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Latvia uh, is definitely up there. Uh, the uh, conference coming up in Amsterdam looks pretty cool, and in just another week there is a conference in Innsbruck, Austria, which would be just fantastic this time of year, but uh, the, Baltic, the Baltic Honey Badger is, that's kind of the OG European conference, and that is that is that is on my list. So if you're there, hey, reach out to me and let us know what you think about the conference, what you thought about the conference. Let us know what the highlights were for you. I'm curious, is there an extensive lobby con? You know, you hear from, uh, well, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin 2022 in Miami was just massive, 30,000 or so Bitcoiners. So basically, it was a takeover of, of Miami Beach. But for example, BitBlock Boom was last weekend. And the one thing that you hear over and over again from people who attended that conference is that the most fun they had was the so-called lobby con, where people were just hanging out in the lobby or the hotel bar, shooting the breeze, getting to know each other. And, and oftentimes, that rivals the experience that people have even had at the conference. In fact, I know of several people who didn't even purchase tickets to BitBlock Boom and uh, just attended quote-unquote lobby con. Also in the news, Hodelot's lawsuit by CSW. The trial is supposedly underway this week. I know most of the Bitcoin community is rallying around Hodelot and patiently waiting for the outcome. All of us have the hope that that fraud will be exposed for being a fraud. Of course, he's suing Hodelot for calling him a fraud. Uh, and that is because in, um, in many countries besides the United States, there are not as as ironclad of freedom of speech protections in England, for example, where podcaster Peter McCormick was sued and basically forced uh, into not a settlement. It went, it, it, it went to trial, but uh, forced into an abbreviated trial to just flat out save money. Um, the libel laws or the slander laws are are it's just pretty much to sue. It's pretty easy to sue anybody uh, for defamation. Uh, in other countries, and that apparently is is the fake Toshi's strategy. Uh, he's been targeting developers and podcasters in countries where he can get away with it. Hodlnot probably being the most famous uh, of those lawsuits, and uh, I know we're all hoping to see him lose that lawsuit. Speaking of supporting Hodlnot, uh, he tweeted what, Tuesday, the 30th of August, that he would be, quote, taking a break until after the trial. Thank you for the massive support. And speaking of that support, uh, Matt O'Dell and others have set up the website DefendingBTC.com. That's DefendingBTC.com, where you can contribute to Hodlnot's defense. They've allegedly raised well over $1 million already, although I've heard that his legal expenses are significantly higher than that. I think the last figure I heard was that it has cost Hodlnot $2.5 million already uh, to defend himself against this lawsuit. So that $1 million, while it might seem like a lot, certainly is uh, is just a drop in the bucket. And that has been, uh, that that is by design, uh, as Peter McCormick said, you know, the reason why he had to change his strategy from saying, uh, from not, from, from not trying to prove that uh, CSW wasn't really Satoshi, but to that it hadn't damaged his reputation was because he just couldn't afford the legal expenses, the legal bills. Um, and if you remember, the judge in that trial uh, excoriated CSW for 
submitting fake fraudulent evidence in that trial. But even so, just the sheer volume and the, the amount of money that that uh, that it costs to defend yourself against those is the deterrent. And that's not just that way when it comes to CSW, but it's that way a lot of times, even in countries that don't make it as easy as the European countries make it to sue people. Uh, oftentimes, people will file lawsuits against companies knowing that it's just cheaper for them to settle than it is to fight it, even if it's a patently false accusation. Uh, they know they can get a quick 10000 or 20000 or whatever from a company instead of the hundreds of thousands it would cost them to defend against the lawsuit. So if you're familiar with the case, or if, even if you're not familiar with the case and you just want to help protect Bitcoin from these frivolous lawsuits, uh, please consider going to defendingbtc.com and supporting HODLNOT. And I believe Matt O'Dell said that any money that would be left over, it's not just going to go to HODLNOT, it's going to stay in a Bitcoin defense fund to help defend other people from attack, uh, core developers, etc., that are also being attacked and sued uh, simply for their participation in the Bitcoin protocol. And speaking of scumbags, the National Review published an article entitled, quote, The verdict is in for El Salvador's Bitcoin experiment. It failed. Not surprisingly, this article was written by longtime Bitcoin hater Steve Hankey. If you're not familiar with who Steve Hankey is, basically he spent well, he spent the better part of 2021 uh, screaming from the rooftop that Bitcoin was uh, worthless. In fact, Bitcoin Magazine referred to Hanky as, quote, well-known in the Bitcoin community for posting innumerable, innumerable variations of the same tweet. Bitcoin is too volatile and it has a fundamental value of zero. Nico did an excellent, if not unnecessary, job of rebutting Hanky's claims on the Simply Bitcoin podcast yesterday. Uh, obviously, Bitcoin has not failed in El Salvador. Just because the price of Bitcoin is down doesn't mean that it's not being widely used uh, for things such as remittances. You know, if, if you have a, a relative or a loved one in El Salvador and you want to send them, you know, $20 instead of spending $20 in Western Union fees to do so, you can send it over the Lightning Network uh, or over the Bitcoin Network for practically free. And of course, volatility really doesn't matter if you're sending someone U.S. dollars to be cashed out immediately into U.S. dollars. In general, the price of Bitcoin usually doesn't tank by enough or even appreciate by enough in one day that in the 10 minutes it takes to send somebody a Bitcoin transaction, they're going to lose, you know, thousands of dollars. Nonetheless, uh, if you haven't heard this episode of the Simply Bitcoin podcast, Nico does a really good job of, of rebutting uh, Steve Hankey's article point by point. You know, one of the things that I don't necessarily think that uh, Nico mentioned, but one of the things I like to point out about El Salvador's quote-unquote Bitcoin experiment is they only invested like 450 or $500 million or less in Bitcoin. And why that, while that seems like a lot of money, that's a fraction of what uh, neighboring country uh, or almost neighboring country Costa Rica spends just on advertising. And... One of the things that's really boosted El Salvador's economy was Bitcoin tourism. Since the adoption of you know Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador, and with uh, the with the famous with the rise and fame of Bitcoin Beach, you know Bitcoin Beach led the way with their Bitcoin Beach wallet and their their Bitcoin experiment long before El Salvador uh, noticed what was going on and chose to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And people have been pouring into El Salvador and pouring into Bitcoin Beach from all over the world. And the money that El Salvador has made just on tourism alone has been a tremendous return 
on that 400 million or so that they've spent on Bitcoin. Speaking of podcasts, Pete Rizzo has been making the rounds on the Bitcoin podcast circuit, hating on the words Bitcoin maximalist and orange pilling. In fact, I could only listen to about the first five minutes of the last podcast I tried to listen to because for whatever reason, Pete Rizzo hates the word Bitcoin maximalist and orange pilling, railing on orange pilling as a gross word, meaning that um, he said that it was the image of forcing a pill down someone's throat which to me is not what orange pilling means at all. You know, orange pilling is kind of, um, it's, it's an homage to the scene in the matrix where, uh, you know, where he's offered a, a red pill and a blue pill and it's his choice whether he wants to take the red pill or whether he wants to take the blue pill. Nobody shoves a pill down his throat, you know? So I don't know where he gets the idea that orange pilling is forceful, but, um, you know, maybe Pete Rizzo is just one of those people that suffers from word aversion. That's a legit mental illness. Word aversion or a logomesia is a real thing. Remember a few years ago when it was trendy, quote-unquote, to hate the word moist? Uh, and uh, there were a whole list of words that people wanted banned just because they hated the way they sound. Well, that's a real thing. You know, some people might have just been having fun hating on certain words, but there are people out there who legitimately have an animalistic, a, you know, an instinctive, vile reaction to hearing certain words. And maybe that's the case with Pete Rizzo because Bitcoin maximalist is, it's, it's fun, man. The whole reason that people are having fun with the Bitcoin maximalist thing is it's kind of like Yankee Doodle when the British came up with that Yankee Doodle song and we're calling the, the, you know, the revolutionaries in the, in the American colonies, Yankee Doodle, Yankee Doodle Dandy. And they took it as a, a sense of pride and threw it back in, in threw it back in the British, you know, in the British soldiers' faces. Bitcoin maximalist is the same thing. That was meant to be a pejorative when Valak, Vitalik Buterin was trying to, you know, smear Bitcoiners uh, by using the term maximalist as an insult. And it's turned into a badge of honor. It's turned into a thing of pride. And you know, if you if you were really offended by Bitcoiners having fun with the with the, with the sayings like "have fun staying poor," and just with having a good time and enjoying themselves, then you probably have bigger issues. And uh, I'm I'm sorry because Bitcoin maximalist is a fun is a fun thing to be. It's a fun it, it's it's a fun word, and it's 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 rooted in it's rooted in you know it's rooted in throwing that term back in Vitalik's face. And as far as orange pilling goes. It's a fantastic way to describe the mind-changing, the life-changing experience that actually understanding Bitcoin has had for so many of us. Uh, none of us had that pill shoved down our throats. The majority of hate pouring out of Bitcoin, however, seems to be coming from shitcoiners, not Bitcoiners such as Pete Rizzo, particularly Ethereum sycophants. As the change to piece of shit, I mean, proof of stake gets closer, it is only intensified. Delusional Vitalik fanboys have been dreaming of and proclaiming of this imminent flippening for the entirety of Ethereum's existence, and they're getting even more rabid as this uh, as this merge, this change to proof of stake, gets closer. And literally, I think we're less than a week away from the beginning of the merge now. Finally, after them claiming they're going to do it for years and years and years. And what's really funny is as they've been getting closer to the merge more and more drawbacks of proof of stake have been coming to light and people are starting to get cold feet and it's kind of too late. It's an all or nothing thing for Ethereum. If they back out now, 
they are pretty much done. They've really hung their hat and their entire reputation on this POS merge. So, um, so they're so Vitalik and the other fanboys are leaning in full scale and they're, it's almost like their one and only hope is that the only way for Ethereum to succeed is if they, if they make this merge to proof of stake, which will basically just turn Ethereum into the legacy banking system. You know, the whole idea of proof of stake is you get to decide what a valid um, Ethereum block, an Ethereum transaction is based solely on how much you have. So the richer you are, the bigger, the bigger say you will get uh, in Ethereum, which is exactly what the current legacy system is. It's exactly what proof of work was created, but proof of work was discovered to fight against. I don't remember what the minimum amount of ETH you have to have to stake is, but it's thousands and thousands of dollars. It's more than the average person could ever dream of having. And um, make no mistake, um, when Ethereum changes to POS, it will be fully captured and controlled. And maybe that's Vitalik's plan because, you know, they're really drumming this whole ESG BS and this uh, Bitcoin's electricity use FUD as hard and as fast as they can. So maybe they're hoping that they can switch to POS and then uh, instead of being able to succeed on their own merits, they can get the government to try and hammer all the proof of work coins, especially Bitcoin, and maybe they uh, they're hoping that enough government pressure and enough FUD will let them finally become the number one coin. And of course, um, Ethereum has more to worry about than just Bitcoin because, uh, while as Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, always says Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin and Ethereum is the next Ethereum. That is not entirely true. Bitcoin, of course, is the next Bitcoin, but there are plenty of Ethereum wannabe and Ethereum clones out there that are eating Ethereum's lunch. Um, so remember, Bitcoin was revolutionary in its immaculate conception and the in the way it was launched and the way it was discovered, whereas Ethereum is just one of 20,000 other altcoins out there that are all trying to be the next greatest tech. And uh, if their only claim to fame is that they're newer and they're better and they can do more things, well, there will always be a newer, newer and better can do more things coin uh, coming out. So uh, they have bigger things to worry about than just uh, than just Bitcoin. They should be happy with they should be happy with what they've got, quite frankly, because it's absolutely amazing Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. It's absolutely amazing. Ethereum hasn't completely imploded anyway. All right. Plan B has been out there on Twitter. Uh, Tweeting, well, you know, remember several months ago, I think it was back in June, Plan B had basically called a bottom. Uh, not so many words, but he made several several tweets in a row indicating that he was basically calling a bottom. And uh, he has another similar tweet from yesterday where uh, he's basically tweeting out the relative strength index, or it's a chart uh, of the rel- of Bitcoin's relative strength strength index, and the chart would would indicate that we were at or near a bottom with uh, the accompanying tweet, quote, if history is any guide, RSI could be 90 plus in one to three years time. Unless you think history says nothing about the future and this time is different, your choice. And the chart basically shows RSI color-coded by distance to realize price. Uh, And if you look at that chart, it does indicate that uh, we are at the bottom of the four-year cycle, or at least very near. Of course, the difference between the bottom and the bottom bottom, uh, while you know, every day we get closer to the next halving and the next bull run, that doesn't mean that there won't be, you know, uh, 
a black swan plunge or one last final capitulation. I've said on previous podcasts that there are there could be multiple factors that would that could that could precipitate one last big plunge at a significant one. For example, you know, these huge mining companies are not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, especially with Bitcoin worth less than $20,000. If one of these, and I'm not trying to FUD here because I'm a believer in Bitcoin and I actually like it when the price goes down. So um, maybe I should FUD, right? Because the, the cheaper it gets, the more Bitcoin I can stack. But, you know, if Marathon or Riot or one of these huge Bitcoin mining companies were to tank, the FUD that that would unleash would definitely lead to a dip in the price. Uh, and you just don't know what you don't know. You know, we didn't expect the the hash wars and we didn't expect the COVID lockdown. And uh, all of those uh, were reflected by a huge drop in Bitcoin's price. So it isn't over till it's over. Uh, it is not unusual for the crypto bear market to last a couple of years. Although the one thing that has consistently marked the definitive end of the bear market and the beginning of the next bull market is the Bitcoin halving and the 2024 halving is currently on track for sometime around April of 2024. That is significantly less than two years away now. So uh, beyond, beyond notice, regardless of what Bitcoin's price does between now and April 2024, come April 2024, we will be back in a bear market if history repeats or even rhymes. And you will be kicking yourself for that 19000 for all the $19,000 Bitcoin that you did not stack. So stack accordingly. Remember, as Derek Gigi said, and we've already said, everyone gets the coin they deserve when they deserve it. And speaking of uh, Twitter influencers, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, will be appearing on a guest will be appearing as a guest on an upcoming episode of Cedric Elgeman's The Bitcoin Matrix podcast. If you are a fan of Adam Meister, you know that he stepped back from doing a daily Bitcoin show, oh, like almost two years ago now, um, and. Uh, I know he hates it when people say, where'd you go? And we miss you and we want to hear your voice. But he says, you don't, he didn't go anywhere. He's right here on Twitter. Well, it's not the same. We like to see Adam Meister because he is always optimistic. You know, he's Bitcoin's original long-term thinker, original strong hand. And just listening to him every day, you know, gave us that little bit of reassurance, even though we know we believe in Bitcoin. It's, it's always nice to listen to somebody upbeat. And he is certainly energetic and upbeat. And his, his energy and his upbeatness is infectious. And it will be great to see what he has to say on Cedric's Bitcoin Matrix podcast. And according to a tweet from Cedric, that episode will drop this Tuesday, September 6th. So I, for one, will definitely be watching that. All right, that's all I really wanted to cover on this special weekend update edition, Labor Day weekend update edition of the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast. Don't forget, every Wednesday we do a DCA Wednesday episode where we stack $20 for the Bitcoin. We've been doing that for over a year now. and We've stacked over 3 million sats, 3.1 million or so sats, just $20 at a time. Um, and so we will see you again on Wednesday for the DCA Wednesday episode. Uh, but until then... Don't forget to buy the dip, BTFD as they say. And if nothing else, we'll see you on Wednesday as we DCA on DCA Wednesday. But until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.